Good morning, good afternoon, good evening uh, to everyone. Um, I'm Vali Nasser, professor at Johns Hopkins SAIS, uh, and I want to welcome everyone uh, uh, to our uh, Rethinking Iran uh, event today. Uh, uh, and I'm very delighted to be welcoming uh, an old friend and, and scholar of Iran, Kian Tajbash, uh, to our program today. Uh, uh, Kian is a fellow uh, in the Committee on Global Thought at Columbia University, where he's also professor of urban planning and urban studies. He previously directed civil society strengthening initiatives for the Soros Foundation with a focus on Iran, where he was also as a result a political prisoner between 2009 and 2016. And he has previously published uh, books, The Promise of the City uh, in 2001 and The Social Capital, Trust, Democracy and Development in 2005. He has a very interesting new book out on creating local democracy in Iran, which is based on 20 years of research that he's done on this topic. And I can think of no one better at this moment with uh, events that we see in Iran to be speaking about uh, the nature of uh, public engagement uh, uh, with society and, and politics, and also given his own experience in Iran, uh, uh, both uh, in, in social uh, uh, research, but also, uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, uh, with his uh, uh, being in prison that can reflect on uh, what, what is happening. Um, now, uh, we, we will have time for question and answer at the end. Uh, so please put your questions in the chat box and uh, we will address them after a conversation between Kian and uh, myself. So Kian, welcome. It's, it's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, I wanted to start uh, by asking you uh, about, you know, what took you to Iran? What took you to this project and, and give, us, give us a sense of, uh, how is how it as an analyst you arrived at this topic? Well, um, first of all, hello to all the audience. And uh, I'd like to thank you, Vali and Nargis and Sais for inviting me to speak about my book. Um, you know, the basic story of uh, the book goes back to 1998, um, a year after the uh, election of Mohammad Khatami. Um, I was a professor at the New School teaching urban politics and urban policy in New York City. And um, I had the opportunity to go back and visit Iran. Uh, my initial motivation was for, to visit Iran for personal reasons. And yet when I got there, uh, it happened that I came across in the local newspapers a news story, which was that in the following year, the Iranian government was going to establish for the first time elected local government in over a thousand cities and over 35,000 villages. Um, and this was absolutely fascinating to me as a scholar uh, because that's the area I looked at, um, local politics, but I had been studying in, the, in Western Europe and the United States was the area of my uh, research. I had never worked on Iran, but here was something uh, very interesting. And um, I decided at that time that I would try to go back to Iran to uh, do research on this new experiment, on this massive expansion of the state system and the restructuring of the Iranian state system. I also knew at the time that Iran was on the cusp of a, you know, very um, interesting and for some people improbable experiment in uh, democratizing an Islamic uh, uh, system, an Islamic regime. And so it struck me as being very um, timely. At the time, I should also say some people um, in, the, uh, in universities might recall, there was a very well-known theory at the time called uh, the theory of social capital that was uh, made uh, uh, well known by a Harvard academic called Robert Putnam. And it was all the rage and it was all about how decentralization uh, could strengthen civil society and uh, could strengthen democratization in a, in a society. And um, this seemed to be an experiment, uh, an unprecedented experiment in Iran. 
And, um, and I wanted to, in a sense, study the same kind of um, topic that Putnam had studied in Italy um, and other places of the world in Iran. So that's really the background of how I came to uh, become uh, interested in looking at this, um, uh, at this topic. And I should just say, for an academic researcher in the social sciences, we almost never uh, have a chance to have something like a natural experiment. That is to say, be at uh, the ground zero of an, of, of an experiment. And this, is a, this was an opportunity I wasn't going to pass up to be there at the beginning of a, uh, of a huge social uh, change, a change in the governmental system, and then to track it over time. That was my plan. And so when I came back to New York, I found a, um, uh, I got a grant to go to, do, to um, do a sabbatical in Iran. And that was really the background to how I um, decided to go to Iran to do this work. Did you focus on a particular area in Iran or um, on a particular size city um, uh, in, in terms of you know the the the, the your, your subject matter that you focused on and you you were looking to collect data? Yes, I did. Um, actually, you know from a from a research point of view, I needed to do two things to to be able to uh, have a you know a good research um, a design, and that was to have a, both a national view that could cover all the cities. I mean, as I mentioned, uh, thousands, over a thousand cities, 35,000 villages. So I had to be able to have, an, have a kind of bird's eye view of what was happening at, at the country level. But then I also decided for my, for my initial research to focus on one province that was outside of Tehran. And that is because, as you well know, there's always this bias of um, having access to Tehran is very easy, but Tehran may not be representative. And so I focused on Fars province. Uh, Shiraz is the capital of Fars province, and I focused on that for my initial design. So let me ask you, just because uh, maybe a lot of the listeners and myself included uh, may not have quite a handle about what was this initiative? In other words, what exactly was the government proposing would happen uh, with the with sort of the, as you mentioned decentralization and uh, authorizing the uh, local politics? So, so uh, what, what was the actual plan? Yeah, um, so um, I mean that's a that's a good question. I mean I think people may not uh, appreciate what what such a major change. This was being proposed. So in the late, in, in about 1996, and I'll speak a little bit about a surprise that I found during my research, but when I went to Iran in 1997, the Khatami government had proposed to expand the number of sites in which elections could take place. So if you imagine before 1997, there were only a few elections taking place in Iran. Those were national elections for the parliament, for the majlis, elections for the president, and then a few other elections for the assembly of uh, experts uh, and so forth. That was it. There were only national level elections. What they were proposing was to overnight and you know, we uh, uh, researchers on decentralization have termed these big bang reforms. Um, it turns out Indonesia was doing the same in 1998, about exactly the same time as Iran was doing. And my book actually does um, discuss a little bit comparatively um, with China and with Indonesia, because they were under they was they were doing the same reforms, uh, similar reforms to Iran. So what the Iranian government was proposing was to all of a sudden overnight hold elections in 1,000 cities, over 1,000 cities, for elected local councils. Um, and the cities would um, be governed. The idea was that over time, 
that responsibilities for governing cities uh, would be slowly delegated, would be slowly passed over, passed down, so to speak, from these large central ministries to the cities themselves. Um, <clears throat> the reformist government, so, so that's the basic sort of structure. So what you would have, oh, and an important point here, which would, which would have, which was a big tran uh, a transition and transformation, was that mayors in Iran, up until this time, had been appointees of the central government. So the Ministry of Interior and the central government appointees um, uh, would decide who would run all these cities and villages around the country. So this is what we call a very centralized top-down system in which, I mean, if you imagine like, you know, the, if you imagine in the, in the United States, um, the Congress would decide, or let's say the, the, pre the administration would decide who would be the mayor of New York City or the mayor of DC. Um, that, was the, that was the situation in Iran before 1990, before the idea in the 1997. Um, and after that, the idea was that mayors would no longer be appointed by the central government. They would be selected by the elected representatives of local residents who were elected to their local councils. So Tehran, for example, had 15 elected council members, and they got to decide who was going to be the mayor. The point of this, Valley, is, I mean, I think the important thing for, for listeners to appreciate is that the motivation behind the um, behind the reformists and the reformist government to push this reform was um, they felt it would be a it would be it would help promote their idea of increased democratization and strengthening civil society it would give residents in their cities an opportunity to become engaged in their everyday uh, environment, in their neighborhoods, in their city. And it would also uh, dilute the central power, the concentrated power in, at the top of the regime. So in terms of what they were planning to do, they were planning, and they did it uh, in 1999, in February of 1999, uh, the elections were held. And all of a sudden, for the first time, effectively for the first time in Iranian history, we now have a, a um, multi-tiered intergovernmental system, which, uh, which includes elections. And we never had that before. And that was the promise of this decentralization. This was the promise that the reformists claimed would help spur uh, part greater participation in a democratic direction. So that's what they, so that was really the gist of what they planned to do. Uh, fascinating. And, and, and you said that these elections were held in February 1999. And yes. given that it was the first time that a thousand cities would be would be doing this, uh, how, how did they go? I mean, how was the implementation itself? It was fascinating. I mean, I didn't anticipate because at that time I was actually watching very carefully. I had gone to Iran. I was trying to go to Iran as often as I could during vacations uh, to do research, but I was following this closely uh, from New York. And um, they went extremely well in this respect, that there was very high turnout, there was very little violence, and there were very few anomalies or uh, let us say disturbances at the polls. And I would put that down to the legitimacy and the support that the general population gave the reformists at the time. In other words, they saw this as an extension. People did understand this as an extension of the reformist platform. Um, and, and, you know, it's, uh, um, we should recall that the reformists, uh, the Mohammad Khatami administration, were going all out in their public messaging that these 
local councils, elected local councils, was in a sense the spearhead of their democratic reform movement and uh, initiative. Um, I remember at the time there were major slogans, there were major speeches by the head of the reformist political parties, the brother of the um, of the president, uh, in which he made it very explicit that uh, they saw these in new institutions as a harbinger of a democratic, of, 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 of let us say, a democratic potential. Um, and so, um, you know, this is what, uh, uh, this is what I think people understood. I think they um, appreciated that and they wanted to get involved. And so there was very high turnout um, as there has been uh, mostly since except for a few anomalies, but uh, otherwise it went quite well. So is this, a, a, I mean, raises an interesting question in my mind, Kion. We often nowadays sort of have this view of Khatami as a sort of a reluctant reformist, as he came out of the gate in 1997, very aggressively, he made most of the changes, it's believed on the cultural uh, arena by liberalizing press censorship laws, allowing more newspapers, et cetera, to come out. And so we often think of the, his, his biggest impact actually having been on the intellectual front of production of ideas, newspapers, books, et cetera. But what you're actually painting, and I wanna sort of test this idea with you that first of all, he probably was not as reluctant as he was understood because this, is, this initiative is two years into his presidency, almost a year and a half, let's say February, 1999. And it's actually an initiative that in your opinion was successful, but it doesn't have to do with newspapers, culture, et cetera. It actually really has to do with politics. But then the question is, the question is then why, why was he uh, so easily jammed by the authorities if he was making real political progress in, in, in institutionalizing democracy? Okay, I'm gonna answer this in two parts. Please, please. Uh, uh, because there's a uh, there's a uh, let's say a quick answer and then there's a longer answer which goes to the surprise that I found when I did the research for the book. The first uh, part of the answer is that um, from the time that I went to Iran, I became closely involved. I got to know um, the leading politicians who were involved in designing and. Uh, executing this, uh, this massive reform and restructuring of the state system. Mostafa Tajzadeh was the pivotal figure because he was the deputy minister for political affairs at the Ministry of Interior. And um, I, actually very soon after I went to Iran um, uh, in 1998, um, I met him and I was, became engaged in debates within his staff, with his specialist staff who were designing the law and designing the, uh, um, you know, the, all the administrative changes that would come about. Um, the other person who was very involved with this was Saeed Hajarian, who was at the Presidential Strategic Center. They were deeply involved in the design of this. And in fact, Saeed Hajarian became uh, uh, a, he became a city councillor in the first elected city council in Tehran. And I met him there and I interviewed him. Um, I'm raising this because actually what my research and my on the ground, and I was very fortunate to be on the ground for so many years, um, and, and right at the beginning and even before the launching. So I was there from 90, in 98 and 99 until it was launched. What I took away from this is that actually the drivers of these uh, very, very significant um, initiatives was not the president himself. It was this, it was the closest allies and really the drivers and the main drivers of the reformist movement uh, that uh, were represented by people like Mustafa Tajzadeh and Saeed Hajarian and many other people who were involved in this, if others in different ministries. In other words, they were doing the hard work of realizing that they wanted to actually restructure the state. Um, and so that's why 
the subtitle of my book is Decentralization and the Politics of State Building, uh, because it was a form of reformist state building, that they wanted to reform the state, uh, they wanted to change the shape of the state, and they wanted to then fill that new vessel as they saw it. And this was the term uh, Said Hajarian would use. He would use the, the, the Persian terms Zarf and Mazruf, which was very, uh, very evocative for me. He said, we're going to change the, the shape of the vessel and we're going to fill it with different content. That is to say, with more democratic content. Um, so in other words, in, uh, in, in, in answer to your question about why was Khatami has been seen as a reluctant performer, he was not really reluctant. I think from the early 90s, if you look at the trend of how um, the, uh, let's say the, 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 the intellectual, uh, the, the main intellectual trend within the administration, they were thinking very carefully about the transition to democracy. And I should note here, it would be an interesting historical footnote. I, uh, there was a famous book, which of course you probably are aware by Stefan and Linz, uh, called The Transitions to Democracy. And um, Hajarian's deputy asked to borrow that from me to translate it very early on. And uh, in other words, they were, they were thinking not just simply in terms of the press or intellectual ideas such as the Islamic reformists around the Kian and Surush group, but they were thinking very clearly about transforming the administrative structure of the state. And that's, why, that's what I found very, very fascinating. So really it was being driven, this was the result. So uh, this was the result in 1999 when they, when they had the first uh, elections was the result of, I would say about a decade of work in political science and political theory and rethinking about how to organize the state and find the institutional expression of their slogan about civil society. I think that was the point I took away. For them, this was, the, this was going to be the institutional expression of their platform of strengthening civil society. It was gonna be what it was concretely going to look like. That's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer speaks to the surprise that I found when I did the research. Um, in 1998 and 1999, uh, when I was, uh, well, in, in, in 97 and 98, when there was all this discussion about implementing these reforms, they, what they were talking about was implementing a law which had been uh, on the books and had been um, ratified by the Majlis at the end of 1996. This was the big surprise to me. Why? Because the conventional wisdom when I went to Iran, and I would venture to say the conventional wisdom generally now, is that the reforms to bring about decentral political decentralization create all these thousands of new uh, electoral institutions in cities and villages. The conventional wisdom see, was that this was a unique initiative of the reformists because the reformists had raised this to a central plank of their platform. My surprise was that wasn't true. It turned out not to be the case. And I found this out by tracing the origins of the law. It turns out the law that the reformists implemented in 1999 was a law that had been passed in 1996 by the fourth majlis, right at the end of the fourth majlis. And that was a majlis that was highly aligned with the regime, hardliners. It was a, it was a kind of combination of uh, Velai, supporters of the Velayat of Fadi hardliners with also support of the Rafsanjani type of technocracy. I traced the origins of the law back to 1993 at the beginning of that parliamentary period. And I was fascinated, it was fascinating to find that the sponsors of the bill and the sponsors of the law were very hardliner 
um, uh, uh, parliamentary representatives. So here was the puzzle. Why did they do it? What did they want to do? And why, why, why would an authoritarian state, as I, I characterize the Iranian regime as an authoritarian state, uh, we can talk about that a little later, but, it, uh, uh, but the puzzle was, why then did the hardline regime-aligned representatives promote this new, uh, this um, reform? Why would a regime that does not see itself as democratic in the sense that we understand in Western, uh, in the Western world, based on liberal principles, why would such a regime expand the electoral arena so broadly? Because we know that this is hazardous for a political uh, system because it wants to control the outcome of um, uh, electoral and political uh, processes. And yet, if you're giving a, a potential opportunity and base for your opponents uh, to mobilize against you, this is potentially hazardous. So that was the surprise that I had to answer. And in, in, in and my book um, explains in detail that, um, and I will just summarize in short, that essentially after the end of the Iran-Iraq war, a number of, um, a number of pressures on the Iranian regime uh, forced it to seek uh, types of administrative changes that would reduce um, uh, tension within society. First of all, there was massive urbanization after the, um, uh, uh, after the end of the Iran-Iraq war and in the beginning of the 1990s. There was an economic crisis and, what it, and this led to a lot of high unemployment in urban areas. And this led to a series of very um, contentious street riots and uh, conflicts. There was part of, you know, some of the first big street riots in Iran were in 1992, 93, in various cities around the, around the country. And in the southern part of Tehran, buses were burned, they were overturned and so forth. And so this, this went on for a couple of years, actually. And what the record seems to show is that the, um, that the government in Iran was seeking a way to respond to this pressure cooker in cities that had been, uh, that had been um, building up and also to respond to uh, very, let us say, crude forms of local urban management. So for example, if you had squatter settlements and you had poor people coming and squatting in uh, informal settlements in cities, at the time, the mayors would just bulldoze them, bulldoze these so-called shanty towns or informal settlements and just push people out because they felt this was the best way to manage the city. And this caused enormous discontent. And this, and as I read the record in the parliamentary debates, it's, it, it became clear that the government wanted to create an electoral outlet um, for people to express their grievances and to select their own managers, their own local managers. And this was the basic story that I found. And so it was not intended to be a, a, a reform to liberalize the political system, either at the local or the national level. It was not intended to democratize the Iranian uh, political system. Um, but what we found is when there was a handover of an administration, and the reformers came into power, what they did is they took the baton, as it were, of that law, and they wanted to go run with it and take it in a different direction. So that's a sort of a, that was a somewhat elaborate argument about, about what I found, but I think this was the, this was the deeper story behind, uh, behind this, um, this. And uh, I think, uh, and, and what I could talk about next are the, three groups that I found that basically wanted to uh, competed, have competed over 20 years over the fate of these institutions.
That's actually fascinating, particularly when you talk about the ways in which uh, uh, that early on the Islamic Republic decided to deal with that kind of uh, pressure in urban areas, protests, etc., by decentralization, and 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 whether uh, you know they are they've been facing similar sorts of things at least since 2017, and we are witnessing it right now as to uh, see whether the same inclination is there. Um, but uh, so let me ask you this: um, you know, you know the, these elections happened in February 1999, and and they were very successful. And then by summer of 1999, we see the student protests, the very first major uh, political protest that uh, some people think is the undoing, if you would, of the reformist movement, because President Khatami does not defend the students, chastises them. The Revolutionary Guards come in in a very big way, attack you know dormitories uh, of the university, and and I wanted to ask you whether there was a continuity between those elections and the protests. You know, the protest sort of, or that the protest ends up basically derailing this experiment by changing the entire sort of context in which the reformist and this idea of democratization was, was taking place? Uh, first of all, I should say I was actually there in Tehran uh, during that summer. And I actually I had a brush with the law too. Uh, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, so to speak. Um, it was very brief, but um, uh, I, you know, I think the reality is that when you look at large scale transformations of a, of a state system uh, with all the complicated administrative uh, dimensions, uh, which I discuss in the book, um, I, I, I would have a hard time actually relating these two events closely with each other. I mean, in February of 1999, um, these are brand new institutions. Um, and remember, they're all over the country. Uh, they are um, being, you know, the, people are being counselors, they're being representative of their local areas for the first time in Iranian history in this way. I can talk about the nuances about the historical precedents, but I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, this is unprecedented. And so people are finding their feet around the country. They're still gearing up, they're trying to find out what it means to be a local councillor. Uh, they're trying to uh, find out what kind of uh, maneuverability they have, what kind of authority, what kind of capacity they have to make decisions, to represent their, um, uh, their constituents in the local areas. So really the summer of 1999, I would say is a kind of like, you know, there were parallel, parallel things happening. And um, my view is that, um, uh, they, you know, I didn't track actually, uh, I didn't see those kinds of um, protests as impacting directly um, the experiment in local democracy. In fact, um, soon after that uh, summer of the dormitory protests, um, many Tehranis were more, became very focused on the conflicts within the first Tehran city council. So in fact, I think the record shows that it was, that, they, that the dormitory protests um, didn't dissuade people from, um, from still showing some kind of awareness or interest in what was going on in the first reformist dominated Tehran city council, which also tried to make very big strides in creating a, a, a citizen's charter for the city, supporting NGOs, supporting civil society organizations and so forth. So in short, I would say that um, um, in, in the short term, I wouldn't see a direct relationship, but I think what I do agree with you, Vali, is that um, in the long term, and I and I and I describe this in the preface to my book that already by 2000 and 2001, the backlash against the reformists was well underway. 
and the door to reformism was closing. And that is part of the story I tell, that as the, um, as the local councils became more and more institutionalized, because the reformists were being pushed onto their back foot and were being in retreat, they were unable to uh, shape the direction of what the local councils could do around the country. And what happened is that the local council, and this is the sort of the, this is the big 30,000 feet uh, story that I tell in the book, is that over time, um, the local councils became absorbed and very robustly institutionalized within the entire uh, governmental and administrative system of the Iranian regime or the Iranian political system. So just as the way that the regime was able to absorb such an important institution, such as parliament, elected parliament, and contain it within the parameters acceptable to the Islamic Republic of Iran, it over time, it did the same thing with these new institutions. So um, another interesting puzzle is that in 1996, on the eve of a debate about um, these local councils, um, Ayatollah Jannati, who was then and still is the head of the Guardian Council, made a speech at Tehran University, if I recall correctly, where he defended and supported the local councils. Now, that was a puzzle to me because, I, again, as I, as I noted, if the conventional wisdom is that this was a unique um, project of the reformists, then why was Ayatollah Jannati supporting this? And my discovery was not only that the hardline parliament was the one who had launched this, but that over time, there were three main groups that had stakes in the fate of how this massive administrative change in the country took place. And these three groups I discuss in separate chapters in the book. I discuss what they believe. I discuss how they uh, operated with the, um, uh, with the new laws or how they tried to change the laws, how they intervened with the local councils. And these three groups were what I call the Velai Islamists. These are the ruling uh, 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 Islamists who support the Velai principle of Velai Tafari. I call them Velai in the book. I think it's more easy to say than Khomeinist, which is the uh, which is a word is, which no one uses in Iran, by the way. But they call themselves Velai or Velayat Madar, centered around the, the Velai Tafari. So the Islamists supported the local councils and political decentralization. Why? Because they felt that it was an institution that could help Islamize the government and deepen Islamization down into cities and into villages. It would be an arm of the regime in terms of how people's participation would be controlled and contained. The second group were the technocrats these were the apolitical technocrats in the governmental bureaucracy and some moderate technocratic Islamists like, uh, like Karbosci around in the Kargozaran group, the executives of reconstruction. They were interested in political decentralization. They wanted to put their stamp on these new institutions because um, they were trying to create a more um, efficient and manageable administrative system across the entire country to provide the state capacity to control and influence policy and investments and also security ac across the entire country. So um, that's what they were interested in. They weren't particularly interested in the politics. Of it. They could have done without the elections. Um, the Islamists, on the other hand, felt the elections would redound to their benefit 
And the reason is because, um, uh, the reason is because um, they felt that they had already managed to um, control the electoral institutions of Majlis, so they could probably do that around the local councils too. The third group, as we've discussed already, is the, are the reformists. And they had a different goal. So their goal was democratization. So the Islamists, the Velayi Islamists goal, they wanted to put an Islamic stamp on these, on, on these uh, in institutions. The technocrats wanted managerial efficiency and the reformists wanted, together with some secular allies, wanted to push for democratization. And I tell the story uh, of the evolution over 20 years of how this fight turned out. Um, and, you know, to, you know, the bottom line is the Islamists in, in alliance with the technocrats uh, won out. They have succeeded by now in putting their stamp on the shape and the content and the direction of these many thousands of institutions. And they and it's a way of channeling participation, public participation, people's participation within boundaries that are acceptable to the Islamic Republic. So the story I tell, I mean, an alternative um, title to the book could be the tragedy of local, uh, of local democracy, uh, how authoritarian state building blocked uh, uh, the experiment in local democracy in Iran. So that's the story I tell. Thank you. And uh, let me remind the audience that if you have any questions, please put them in your chat box. But I, uh, while we you do that, I wanted to continue the conversation. You know, Kion, as you were doing this book, you ended up in trouble uh, in Iran. You ended up in prison, and uh, you've mentioned that this itself was a reflection of what was the what was the sort of fate of this experiment. Can you tell us a bit about uh, both your own ordeal and also how it sort of reflected on what you were studying and, and, and the trends that, that you were just describing? As I mentioned, I, I mean, this book is a, is a book of scholarship. It's, uh, it's, it's a work of research that I, it, it, uh, it contains all my field work of over, over 20 years and including work that I continued to do when I was here. So it's a work of an observer but it's also the work of a participant. I was a participant in many uh, of the events that I uh, discuss in the book. Um, the projects that I analyze, I was uh, either engaged in as a, as, a, uh, as a partner or I was directing the project. Um, and so it's both personal and uh, scientific, it's both objective and subjective in that way. Part of my personal story was that as I was researching this in Iran, I became involved as a participant in projects to strengthen and promote democracy in Iran. And as you mentioned in your introduction, I uh, I became the representative of the Open Society Institute in Iran in the early 2000s. And as you know, that's a, um, that is an organization that promotes human rights, civil society, and democracy, and, so, uh, and um, NGOs throughout the world. And we were doing that in Iran. So on the one hand, my interest in the potential of political decentralization to spur democratization um, was a scientific one, but it was also deeply personal because I was actually working on it. I was working to promote that myself. Thus, as you just mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, as the backlash to the reformists gained pace, from the early 2000s, um, not only did the councils, um, and not only was the fate of the local councils and the experiment of local democracy impacted by this, um, uh, you know, by the backlash of the 
of the regime and, and the decision of the regime to push back against the democratic dimension and to promote the Islamic dimension. Um, but it also affected all the people that were involved in activism, so to speak. And I guess I could you know, call myself at that time as an activist. And so um, in 2007, um, I, was, uh, I was arrested. Uh, you may recall with Dr. Hala Isfandiari and a few months after Dr. Ramin Jahanbegu, um, we were the first, in a sense, um, group of uh, 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 pe people who were promoting democracy and also involved with Western organizations. Um, and I sort of see this as a first shot across the bow uh, by the uh, Iranian government, by the Iranian state, um, to warn off organizations to not uh, continue with this kind of work. And so my arrest in 2007 uh, was part and parcel of this pushback by the Iranian government, by the Iranian uh, Nizam, the, you know, the, the, the entire um, uh, system, political system. Uh, it was a pushback against Western uh, democracy promotion efforts. And then uh, in 2009, when I was arrested again, um, it was also uh, part and parcel of that pushback. So in a sense, um, at an institutional level, uh, what's interesting is that the, uh, that the Iranian Nizam, the, the regime, did not eliminate, I mean, this, is also, this also shows the, let us say, the adroitness or the deafness of the Iranian regime to co-opt and to channel institutions uh, so that it would redound to their increased power, to their increased consolidation. And so um, they could have eliminated these uh, local elections. I mean, why? That's one way of doing it. China doesn't have elected local, uh, China, for example, doesn't have elected local institutions. Um, uh, but they didn't do that. But for more activist types and more projects which were more directly connected to the West, um, the arrests and the incarcerations and the pushback was more severe. So I do see them um, as part and parcel of the uh, regime's attempt to recapture um, uh, and to push back against uh, opponents and challenges, uh, but they were at sort of different levels of intensity. So we have one, uh of our audience is asking, uh, I mean, ultimately, what did the reformers envision uh, that that was the full potential for this, for these local governments? You know, where, if they had had their way, where would, where would this have gone? I think the reformists, and I would say, I would say here also that reformists together with some of their secular allies, uh, but since in Iran, the secular um, groups do not have a, a legal, uh, don't have legal right to organization or to newspapers. Uh, they sort of stay in the kind of shadows, but uh, there were also uh, some sort of secular, you know, journalists and newspapers and maybe academic groups that supported the reformists. What they would envision was that um, the, the local councils would become a space in which uh, a more pluralistic competition between political parties would emerge. And that is to say that, um, that political parties um, uh, from, at the time, from the most, uh, let's say, radical reformist group, like the Mosharikat and the Sazman Engalab Islami, um, they would be able to increase their presence by having local party chapters in cities around the world, which I'm sorry, around Iran, which they typically now do not do because, um, uh, because they tend to be restricted to the, major, to the major cities. And so that would be able to increase the reformist footprint around the, uh, and presence around the country. Um, 
they also uh, would have pressed on a feature of the law which would allow local councils to independently fund and support NGOs and association groups and voluntary associations. And they envisioned, I, I suppose, that there would be a, the growth of modern NGOs like youth, youth, women's groups, other civil society groups, and that that would receive the support of the local councils and there would be a kind of slow, a small a snowball effect. They also envisioned um, having broadening, using the local councils to broaden political participation. In, uh, so during the second round of uh, city council elections, um, uh, the reformist administration actually gave for the first time uh, political permission for the Nehzata Azadi uh, and also the Melli um, Mashabiya, the national religious nationalists and groups to participate in local elections. So in a sense, they were actually showing that they were interested in not just their own electoral outcomes, but uh, these, uh, these. And finally, the fourth point I would say is I think that they, they took a, a page out of the classic Western liberal book that part of what, what liberal, um, and they don't call themselves, they never call themselves liberals in that sense, but the liberal idea was to um, check centralized state power by dispersing power around the country. Um, but as I say, that was a kind of uh, tragic outcome because in fact, the regime was much better at using these dispersed uh, institutions to consolidate their power rather than being undermined by it. That's fascinating. And um, so, you know, the, the, we are right now um, confronting, obviously, a, a unique set of protests in Iran. Uh, and uh, they are around the, you know, feminist dem demands for uh, abolishment of hijab and uh, police brutality, as well as a variety of other things. But um, I want to ask you that, that, you know, it looks like the Islamic Republic has become much more open to ongoing protests. I mean, these might be bigger, but you know, there were also protests in 2019, in 2017. And so, you know, has this sort of diffusion of politics, at least at the local level, helped or hurt? Is it sparing this kind of uh, political activism or, or, um, or, or how, how do we sort of understand the way I mean, let me let me backtrack. I mean, you you initially said that the idea actually came about for for local government, even among hardliners, as a way of ending protests in in nineteen. And now we're at a point where those those kinds of uh, protests are back. So where does this whole experiment sit in this uh, in the middle of all these protest politics? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, I would say that, you know, when the hardliners uh, in the early 1990s uh, crafted these institutions as a way of diffusing urban riots, um, they were actually focused on issues which, which, which had to do with um, the, uh, you know, the, the challenges faced by local governments, how to deal with land use, how to deal with housing, how to deal with transportation, how to deal with um, crowding how to deal with uh, local amenities. And so all the discussion around these local institutions have really, and the law has to do with the kind of responsibilities that lo elected local governments can have around these urban issues. These riots, and also the ones in 2019 and 2020, um, the 19 and 20 were around uh, fuel, uh, you know, were triggered by um, rises in fuel prices, um, which don't directly have to do with, um, uh, with the kinds of uh, responsibilities that local governments have. And also the current uprising is really nothing really to do um, with uh, what local governments uh, can respond to. So in a sense, um, uh, in a sense, it's not, 
so in a sense, they're not really related what typic to typically what local governments could do. However, having said that, I would say that um, the way in which the failure of the experiment in local government, creating local government in Iran, um, has, uh, has uh, ended up is that it's just another instance of a blocked opportunity for individuals, residents in cities, big cities around the country, to feel that they are engaged and, are, are, and have a voice and can participate in influencing even their local, uh, even their local institution. Um, I should just point out that, you know, the issue of the hijab, for example, um, uh, the forced, uh, the mandatory veil, the mandatory hijab, this is a law that is passed by the, by the parliament and it is enforced by the police, which is a national level institution um, uh, accountable ultimately to the supreme leader, to the office of the supreme leader. In my city here where I am in New York, for example, the police chief is accountable to the mayor, and the mayor is um, is elected, and it's also uh, and the uh, the police are accountable also to the city council. But in Iran, uh, over the last twenty years, many city councils have asked for greater authority to be able to influence at least some of the things that impact people's daily lives. And they, and what I found in the book is that they are very highly constrained, so highly constrained that they have, in a sense, created um, not much interest in the local population. Um, I wrote an essay um, last year on my blog, which is called The Tale of Two Cities. I'm sorry, it's called The Tale of My Two Cities. It's a, it compares uh, Tehran and New York City. Um, I compared the um, local elections in Tehran and in New York City. And what was fascinating is that in both of these cities, there was, uh, was about 20% turnout, which is extremely low in New York City, and it's, extremely, and it's low in Tehran too. Um, it's a 20% turnout. So um, there doesn't seem to be much interest. They have failed to grab the attention of Tehranis and one of the main reasons that I decide, that I offer in the book is because they have not shown themselves, they've shown themselves to be toothless. From a comparative point of view, this is a puzzle because then the question is, why is tw only 20% of people turn out in New York City where the city council is not toothless? But that's for another discussion. Um, um, and so um, I would say that... Um, you know, if the city council had been able to speak to the concerns of many young people who use the streets, who, uh, who, who in, I, I've written an essay in the online journal public seminar called Iran's First Feminist Uprising. And there I argue that this is an uprising, not only against the patriarchal control of women's bodies in Iran, but also the paternalistic control of public space. And one of the things that we see local governments being able to do is that they should have some say over how local space, public space is used in their cities. And they have no say having to do with the police in Tehran, how, how they engage with, um, you know, with the, with the um, morality police and so forth. And, if, and I think that you know, it's just another sign of frustration, especially among the young people, that they don't have an outlet, not, not through their parliamentary representatives and not through their um, uh, city council representatives, which, by the way, are now suffering from the same kind of censorship and disqualification of, um, uh, of wide range of voices as the national government. So this is actually a blocked institution um, in which I would, I would venture to say a majority of the young people in Tehran and in other major cities do not see representatives on their city council that could speak to their voices. So I think it's, you know, just adds to their frustration 
And it is, I think, I think it is, I think it is a part of the story of the failure and the tragedy of local democracy in Iran. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, with our, at the end of our time, although there's a lot of questions and, and, and this has been an uh, extremely instructive and also thought provoking uh, conversation, uh, very rich. Uh, and, uh, and I definitely recommend uh, everyone to read the book, Creating Local Democracy, which came out by Cambridge University Press in 2022. Uh, Kian, thanks for uh, your scholarship. Thanks for um, you know, the very innovative work that you've done on this issue. And thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks very much. Well, thank you very much, Vali, for inviting me and, and um, uh, allowing me to share my work with you. Um, I would welcome emails if anyone from your audience uh, has a question. I'd be perfectly happy if you put it in the comments in the YouTube. I will be more than happy to try to answer them. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Absolutely. Very good to see you. Take care.